So James chapter 3, reading from verse 1 to verse 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it make it make great boast. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our God and Father, and with it we curse human beings, who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. To give us the word this morning is Pastor Logan. Let us be in prayer and be open to the Spirit of God as he comes to preach. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Uh, good to see you this morning. Uh, I want to mention here at the outset that we are, we have prayed that our technology will continue to hold up as it has the last few weeks, but we really could use the help of maybe one more person. So if there's anybody out there who is technologically capable and willing to learn how to run some of this stuff, uh, it would be really helpful. Last week, towards the end of the service, everything kind of shut down. Uh, and had to reboot. And so uh, in a case like that, we would need a third person probably to, to make that uh, run a little more smoothly. So if you're out there, if you're willing to volunteer, get in touch with us. You can write it on the thread down there, or uh, of course you can just send us an email or something like that. Um, that being said, let's, uh, let's get into the sermon. Uh, so we've been in quarantine now for a while. I don't know about you. I'm starting to lose track a little bit if it weren't for preaching here and having to teach my kids school during the week. I'm not sure I would know what day it is. Um, and as the days pass by, I've been spending a lot of my time just listening to the news. We have one of those echo dots in our kitchen. And so whenever I'm in the kitchen, I'm usually 
which is like seems like 80% of my life right now. I'm in the kitchen, either cleaning something or cooking something. But uh, when I'm in there, I'm usually listening to NPR. And I've heard through NPR pretty much everything I can possibly hear about the coronavirus. I've, I feel like I've heard every point of view, every political angle, every potential plan or outcome. I've had a lot of time to worry. A lot of time to worry about myself and especially just to worry about people I love being impacted, affected by this virus. And uh, interestingly, I guess, as I was this week preparing for the sermon and reading through this passage, I was kind of reminded that there is another danger that I'm facing almost every day. A danger that up to this point, has probably done a lot more damage in my personal family, uh, something that is, is a present danger, something that we are always suffering under, uh, and especially, maybe even more so, now that we've been shut up in our homes. And I'm talking about the danger of our tongues, the danger of our speech. If your experience has been anything like mine over the past few weeks, then you have had plenty of opportunities to wound people with your words and to be wounded by other people, by their words. As we are cooped up in our homes, there are just so many chances for us to have frayed nerves, to be under pressure, to be um, impatient, to be frustrated. And if we're not on guard, if we're not aware of that, we can do a lot of harm right now to one another. So today, as we're jumping back into the book of James after having taken a break for Easter and Palm Sunday, um, I'm hoping that this text will be very helpful, very practical for us. That this text might help us to learn to communicate in a more Christ-like, a more loving, a more life-giving way in the coming days and weeks. And so today I want to point out three things. I want to point out the danger of our tongues, the way to tame our tongue, and then the indication of our tongue. The danger, the way to tame it, and the indication of our tongue. So let's just get right into it. If you can remember all the way back to when we first started preaching on this book, you might recall that one of the themes in James is this idea of spiritual wholeness. That we would be complete. That we would be lacking nothing. James is giving us advice, instruction on how we can become mature in our faith. So that we would not lack any good thing. And one major piece of that is right here. One major piece of that instruction is the, the hope that within the church, God's people would speak lovingly. That we would promote peace in the church and not division. That we would interact with one another in a way that brings about love, unity, harmony. Unfortunately, that is a lot easier said than done. And James puts it in about as stark terms as he can. 
in our passage. In verse 7, he says, All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures have been tamed and are being tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. It's something that no one can tame. It's something that we all struggle with. It is the most common of failings. But just because we all struggle with it, it doesn't mean it's okay. In fact, when Scripture talks about the sins of the tongue, it sometimes equates them with everything that's wrong with us. We opened our service with the call to worship from Isaiah chapter 6. That famous passage where the prophet sees this vision of God on the throne. He sees Him in all His perfection, His holiness, His righteousness. And all of a sudden, Isaiah, he cries out in terror. Because he realizes just how unholy he is in comparison to that holy God. And he says, Woe to me! I am ruined! For I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. In that moment, the the thing that strikes him, that separates him from a holy God, that's keeping him apart from God, is his speech. It's his unclean lips. Those unclean lips represent his sinful life. So the point is that this sin, sins of the tongue, is not something that we can take lightly. And James, in the book, he uses a bunch of examples to show us just how damaging sins of the tongue really are. In verse 5, he says, Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire. So he gives us this picture of our tongue, uh, the words of our mouth being like a little spark, that can set a whole forest on fire. And in my time in ministry, I can testify to that. I can testify that nothing is more harmful in the church than the power of our tongues. The words that we speak in anger. The words we speak in gossip. The words we speak that are half-truths or outright lies, those things rip the church apart. And notice, too, James uses the illustration of a small spark, something really small. Because isn't that exactly how we think about our words? We think it's so small. Whenever we get angry with somebody, whenever we spread rumors that weren't ours to share. It's always the case that we justify that, right? We minimize it. We say, it's really no big deal. Well, sure, maybe that wasn't the best way for me to respond, but, you know, they really brought it on themselves. They, they kind of deserved it. That thing I said, you know, it wasn't totally false. I just I shaded the truth a little. You know, it was a, a little white lie. 
In my time as a pastor, there have been very few moments when I have seen people own up to the, the full damage that their words have caused. But I've seen a lot of times when people are happy to shift the blame, to deny it, to minimize it, to make excuses about it. And think about this. When James wrote this letter, you know, really there were only a couple of ways to communicate with people. Either you spoke to them in person, or you wrote something in a letter. And that was about it. Those were the only ways you could communicate. But now, in our world, the opportunity for these little sparks is just exponentially greater. Now we have social media, we have the internet, we have smartphones, we have text messaging, we have all of these these ways that we can start these fires. And in a lot of cases, these instantaneous, impersonal means of communicating can be much worse. They can do even more damage. Instead of starting a spark in a conversation, it's, it's actually more like we're, we're throwing grenades where we can be way off from the damage before it begins. A few years back, I, I knew a person who went online and posted a message on a social media site, just kind of vaguely complaining about life and some people that she knew. And a group of people in the church read those posts, and they were devastated. They were extremely upset by the things that were said. And I personally, as a result, as a pastor, I ended up spending hours on the phone that week and going in person and and visiting people, just trying to control the damage of a few sentences that were written online. We have to take those things seriously, too. What you might think of as just a blowing off steam on the internet, you need to recognize those things can send people's lives into a tailspin. Whether it's speech, whether it's typed, whether it's the internet, James' point is that when it comes to unloving words, when it comes to deceptive words, words of of gossip, no matter how they are communicated, He's telling us that what is driving our choice to wound others is clear. He says we are not motivated in that moment by wisdom. We are not motivated by a desire for justice. We are not motivated by a desire for righteousness. He says the tongue sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. He says the tongue is a world of evil. Unloving words are motivated by evil. Our tongues are powerful. Our our words are a dangerous weapon. And when you start to think about all the harm our, our speech is capable of on a daily basis, it gets a little bit overwhelming. So the question is, what do we do? Well, James speaks here of our need to tame our tongues, and that's our second point. 
How do we tame our tongues? Verse 2, he puts it in stark terms. He says, We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. His point there is, we all stumble. Getting control of our tongues is more than a challenge. It's a battle that's never going to end. It's something we're going to deal with our entire lives. And yet, he says, we need to tame our tongues. So what do we do? How do we tame our tongues? Well, I want to give three very practical pieces of advice here. Things that I hope you might be able to even put in practice this week at home. The first thing is we need to fill up our hearts with good things. We need to fill up our hearts with good things. When Jesus was teaching on the tongue, he said, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So let me ask you a question. What's your heart full of? If we want love and mercy and grace to flow out of our lives, then we need to receive love and mercy and grace from our Heavenly Father. I think one reason we don't have a lot of love to give others right now is because we haven't been receiving the love we need from God. I was talking with a pastor friend of mine the other day. We've been doing these online prayer meetings every morning, every evening during the week. And, well, I'll be honest, they, they haven't been really well attended. And so we were talking about whether we should keep having them or maybe we should reschedule them or find a better way to do it. And, and we still might. But in the midst of those conversations, uh, he said, it doesn't really matter what we decide, regardless I'm going to do it. I'm going to pray every morning and every evening because that's what I've been doing every day for three years. I can do it with everyone else or not. But I've learned that daily prayer is my oxygen mask. It really struck me when he said that. He said that daily prayer is his oxygen mask. He said it's what keeps me spiritually alive. What about you? What's your oxygen mask? What is keeping you spiritually alive right now? Is it this streamed sermon once a week? Are you in the practice of, of actually reading the word for yourself? Are you filling your heart and your mind with the living word of God? Are you in prayer right now? Are you communing? with the living God? Are you taking the time to go before Him and examine your heart? 
and pour out your life before him? Are you receiving his love and his forgiveness every day as you confront your sin? If you aren't, you shouldn't be surprised if you don't have any forgiveness to offer others. It's a pretty simple thing. Jesus says, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And so the first step in taming our tongues is we need to fill our hearts full of the love of Christ so that his love can be what flows out of us. And the second thing I want to mention is that we need to talk about what we're feeling when we do blow up. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. That means when our emotions overflow, when something explodes, there actually is something in our heart going on. I I know a pastor who says that our emotions are the check engine light of our hearts. It's an invitation to go in there and figure out what's going on. It's pointing to something deeper. And so when we're, we're angry, when we're sad, when we're depressed, when, when we explode, whatever, we need to take the time not just to bury that and move on, but to really look at it. Another thing that happened to me this week, I had just gotten off the prayer call. I was trying to fill up my tank, right? To fill up my heart with good things. But during that prayer call from 6.30 to 7, our dog was out and, and, and he's, he was barking. And I was trying to make him be quiet. I was trying to do everything I could think of. But, you know, if you've seen, we have a big dog. We have a Doberman. And just a couple of barks from him will wake up the other five people who live in my house. And so, of course, by the end of the prayer call, Melissa woke up and she came downstairs And, well, she wasn't very happy, (laughs) understandably. But I got really upset for her being upset with me. And after she went back upstairs, I had to, to go back up and apologize to her. Because as I, I thought about my response, I just recognized that her displeasure with me in that moment had struck something deeper. That really my reaction was was bigger than the moment called for. What happened there was, it really didn't have a whole lot to do with that moment at all. And so as I prayed about it, as I thought about it, I realized that, you know, I'm, I'm just always looking for approval. I'm always looking for acceptance. And those are things that ultimately I have to receive from the Lord. And so when she came downstairs and when she was unhappy with me, it just brought up all this other baggage I have. Now in the moment, I did have to apologize, right? Maybe I need to be explicit in saying that. Folks, if you are blowing up, if you're getting angry, you do need to apologize. You need to take the time to, to repent when you hurt people and let them know that you're sorry. But you also need to, to keep going. And to do the work of of following that feeling and seeing where it leads. 
asking, what's going on in my heart right now? Why did I blow up? What was that all about? And when you reach the end of that line of questioning, a lot of times what you find is a place where you are not really resting in Christ. A place where God can meet you. Right? I blew up because I wasn't comfortable with the reality that I am inadequate. That I fail at some, sometimes. Even when I'm trying to make something happen, sometimes I just can't do it. But when I recognized that root, I was able to go to Jesus and say, you know what, Lord, I do fail. But in you, I'm not a failure. I do fail, but in you, I'm victorious. I am loved. I don't, I don't need to be on the defensive when people point out my shortcomings. I could say, Lord, help me to live out of my identity in Christ instead of living life on the self-defense. So, first thing, we need to, to tame our tongues. We need to fill up our heart with good things. And the second thing we need to do is follow our feelings when we are upset, to see what's going on in our heart. And the third thing here is that we need to speak life-giving words. So far, what we have been talking about is mostly what you might call sins of commission. Sins that we commit, the bad things we do that we're not supposed to do. But in this command, there's also a sin of omission. The good things we are omitting. The good things we should be doing that we're not. The tongue is powerful. The tongue can do a lot of damage. But the tongue also has an incredible power for good. Yes. As we think about taming our tongue this morning, it's not enough for us just to stop gossiping or to stop lying or to stop uh, lashing out at people in anger or to stop complaining. We tame our tongues when we make a conscious effort to affirm and to uplift each other. When our tongues begin to produce the good fruit that they were made for. So let me ask you another question, just practically. How often do you make the point of complimenting the people in your life? When do you express appreciation for them verbally? The impact of your positive words the impact of your affirming words, the impact of your loving words is greater than you probably know. Yeah. You know, the worst boss I ever had was not terrible because he was cruel. He wasn't bad because he worked us too hard. He was a bad boss because he was just, he never complimented anyone for the good work they did. We were performing well, we were doing a good job, but we never heard from him unless we fell behind pace. It was at a, a bakery where we were kneading and baking dough all day. 
And he never let it, he only spoke to us when we weren't performing up to his standards. We needed the affirmation. It may be the case that you really love and you really appreciate the people in your life. But I want to encourage you, make a point of sharing those things with them. And don't wait. Even this week, tell your roommate or your spouse or your children something that you really appreciate about them. Tell your family member, whoever it is. Let them know a way that their life is impacting yours for the better. Use your speech as an instrument for healing. Taming our tongue is a lifelong process. James says it's something that we're going to struggle with. It's going to, it can send our whole cycle of our life into turmoil. But if we fill our life, if we fill our heart with good things, if we repent in those moments of failure, and then we do the work of figuring out what's going on deep down in our hearts, and then if we make a conscious effort to show love, to build each other's up, then we will go a long way in this battle with one of our most pervasive sins. So that's what I want to say about taming the tongue. The third thing I want to mention here is the indication of the tongue. It's obvious after looking at these verses that the tongue can do a lot of damage, that it takes a lot of effort and energy to try and tame it. And even when we're battling hard, even when we're seeing victory, even when we are seeing these good fruits being produced in our life, there's going to be moments when we fail. But these final verses of our passage, they wrap this up with a point that to me is both terrifying and encouraging at the same time. Verse 9, he says, With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. James says that the major problem of a tongue that is out of control, of a tongue that is doing damage, is not just the bad fruit that it produces, but it may be an indication of something much worse. He points out that the people who we harm with our words are people who have been made in the image of God. Made in the image of a God who, as Christians, we claim we worship. A God who we claim that we love. 
And this illustration, it would have had even more of an impact in James's time, because back then, uh, if you were to mistreat a statue of the emperor, you would be punished as if you had mistreated the emperor himself. See, they, they knew that it would make no sense to say you give reverence to the, the emperor and not give reverence to the image of the emperor. It makes no sense for us, on one hand, to claim that we love God. And meanwhile, we are cursing the people who look like him, who reflect his glory, who are made in his image. And he says that when we disrespect the image of God, It is often an indicator of where our hearts truly lie. It's the same thing Jesus said, right? Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What we say reveals what's in our hearts. What we say shows who we really are who we truly belong to. A fig tree produces figs, not olives. A salt spring produces salt water, not fresh water. And if your mouth and your words demonstrate a lack of love, it's a bad sign. Jesus, he said, the way the world is going to know that we are his disciples is what? Is if we love one another. So if you belong to Christ, the fruit of that relationship should be love. If you belong to Christ, your life should produce a love for God and a love for your neighbor. But if the fruit your life is bearing, if the fruit your your speech is showing is hatred, is envy, is lying, is gossip without remorse, then perhaps what is at the root of your life is not Christ at all, but unbelief. The problem is not your words. It's the state of your heart. But there is good news. See, Scripture tells us that every one of us are born into the world that way. Every one of us, we come into this world with unclean hearts and unclean lips. And our only hope, when we recognize that, is to do what Isaiah did. To cry out to God and say, woe is me. I am lost. I am ruined. Unless you, Lord, will cleanse me. It's like David prayed in Psalm 51, that famous psalm of repentance. His prayer wasn't, Lord, help me to do better. He said, Lord, 
create a new heart in me. He said, give me a whole new heart. And the good news for us is that he came to do just that. Jesus came to give us new hearts. When the Apostle Peter was reflecting on Jesus, he described him as a man who had no deceit on his lips. In the person of Jesus, God took on flesh and did the thing none of us could do. He tamed his tongue. He was perfect. He avoided all those bad things we talked about, and positively, he was kind. He was loving. He was compassionate. He lived the life we couldn't live. And he suffered and he died for our sins. The prophet Isaiah, when he was looking forward to the Christ, the suffering servant, when he was looking forward to Jesus, who was condemned for lying, right? He was sent to his death for blasphemy. But Isaiah says, he describes Jesus this way. He said, like a lamb that was led to the slaughter is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In this moment, Jesus didn't fight back. He didn't retaliate. He didn't lash out in anger. But instead, he went to the cross for you. He took the punishment that our speech and our sin deserved. And so this week, as we're fighting to tame our tongues, I want to encourage you to cry out to him. Maybe you're watching this and you've never done that before. Maybe you're watching this and you don't know Christ as your Savior. If that's you, I want you to listen to what James says. You cannot do this in your own strength. Verse 8, he says, No human being can tame their tongue, not alone. But the Spirit of God can transform you. The Spirit of God can give you a new heart. A heart of repentance. He can renew your tongue by the power of his grace. And so I suppose I actually want to give two very simple invitations here at the end. One, I want to invite all of us to come before God and repent today. To ask him to change our hearts. To ask him to give us good fruit to change the bad fruit our life has been producing and the ways we have harmed people with our speech. And the second invitation is that I want to encourage you to act on that. If there are people in your life that you need to apologize to, if there are conversations that you've had this week, relationships that you have fractured or broken, I want to challenge you that that you would go and you would seek those people out and you would ask their forgiveness. That you would seek reconciliation. And even beyond that, that you might go and speak to them words of life. Let's take a moment right now at the end to just contemplate that. 
Ask the Lord to search your heart, to show him where you may need to do that today. And then in a moment, Pastor Mason will close us in prayer. Let's bow our heads.